From somewhere in Northeast Indiana, Mike Davidson lives. And now your host of the podcast, Mike Davidson. It's like a business show. A lot of bad decisions out there. A lot of bad business to talk about. If this, if this was video, there'd be a ticker at the bottom showing you stocks, but it's not because I work in audio only. I will spare you my visage. I, I don't even like looking at me. Uh, hell yes, Mr. Rob Roop. Thank you very much. It's me, Mike. This is Mike Davidson Lives. That's the name of the podcast. Thanks for downloading and hanging out for the next half hour or so. As I try not to do my best Jim Cramer because that guy has no idea what the hell he's talking about. No, I got some interesting stories, including a particular burger place uh, that really stepped in it this week. More on that here in just a few moments. Um, just to give you an idea how nerdy both me and my wife can be. I love her, and this was her idea, and I'm actually looking very much forward to this. Uh, here in a few weeks in the state of Indiana, uh, she and I will travel down and take a Saturday morning class uh, that deals with spotter act, uh, spotter activation. Basically, looking for naders, twisters. Yeah, because uh, bo both she and I, uh, as kids, wanted to be meteorolo meteorologists. We didn't find that out until, you know, as we were dating, obviously. Um, but uh, she loves the movie Twister, starring the late, great Bill Paxton and the late, great Oscar-winning Philip Seymour Hoffman. It sucks that both those dudes are gone. Um, and, you know, we we have our fair share of bad weather here in Indiana, so she thought, hey, let's do it. Um, I don't know when in the hell we're going to have time uh, to go out hunting for tornadoes, but that's not the point. It's just something cool for us to do. And I'm looking very f much forward to it. Uh, I really am. Uh, it gets us out of the house for a little bit. And uh, the kids can hang out with Grandma and all of that. So, yeah. I, I When I was down in Kokomo and, um, you know, working on a smaller station. And every anytime we had bad weather roll through, had to go to the station. Didn't matter um, if it was on a Saturday or if it was like 3 o'clock on a Wednesday morning. Uh, all of us on-air types went down and did what we had to do. Uh, I haven't, haven't had to do that. I haven't had to do that in about eight or nine years. You know, when I moved up to the big leagues here in Fort Wayne, IN. Uh, yeah, you, you don't have to worry about bad weather so much because there's TV stations here in town. Um, but I got to tell you, it's it's kind of nice to sleep through storms. In fact, I did that the other night. Big thunder boomer came through. I didn't get up for nothing. Speaking of TV, uh, congrats to my daughter, Hazy. Uh, her and her class, her pre-K class, uh, this week, local news, uh, they got to do the Pledge of Allegiance. And uh, it was her and her classmates. She's in the front row. Very proud of her. There is a little bit of a ham in her. She's very quiet, but she's also got a, a bit of a streak where she likes to be comedic. She, she didn't act up. For the pledge, thank God. Uh, but when she did her play a couple weeks ago, she she had a lot of fun doing that, and uh, look forward to more uh, more of her in the spotlight. Uh, someone else who's in the spotlight, uh, Iowa's Caitlin Clark. She's setting all sorts of scoring records on the court. I think I think you're, we're talking more about her than college basketball, men's basketball. 
uh, you know, she's just setting the court on fire, and uh, she announced that she is going to the WNBA, and it looks like she'll she's going to be playing in our uh, home state here. She might be part of the Indiana Fever. There's a good chance, looking like it. So uh, a lot of that excitement down in my former hometown of Indianapolis, but uh, she's just on fire. Quick R.I.P. Uh, the late, great Richard Lewis died, unfortunately, earlier this week at the age of 76. He was dealing, I think, with uh, MS, and he died of a heart attack. But uh, well-known neurotic comedian, uh, you know, later role, he, had, he was in a sitcom with Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it. I remember in late 80s, early 90s, he was on ABC. And then, of course, uh, uh, he was uh, later playing himself on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Him and Larry David, uh, they're... Um, their rivalry on that show was pretty interesting. Uh, but uh, Whitney Weeks, good friend of mine, she uh, made mention of this on uh, on the Mike Davidson Facebook page. There has never been a better Prince John than Richard Lewis, uh, referring to uh, Robin Hood men in tights. And uh, he, was, he was fun to watch in that. So, yeah, another... Uh, Another member of uh, the pop culture I grew up with, gone. Uh, and of course, unfortunately, age of 76. That, that with pop culture, being who I am, I mean, I, I can appreciate when somebody puts out a good song, good movie, good show. Um, but the line has to be drawn. I don't necessarily have to go out and meet that person. If I did meet that person, I, I would like to think that you know, I wouldn't be treating them like they need to be up on a pedestal or anything. Um, there are a lot of Taylor Swift fans that cannot turn that off. Um, and I've been trying to tone down the Taylor Swift content uh, as, of rate, as of late. Just because there's other things going on in the world. There's way too much going on in the world. Uh, but I saw this in passing the other day. I guess uh, it, Colin Cowherd, he's got uh, his sports show on Fox Sports. And he talks like this. He talks like any typical disc jockey you would remember from the 80s and 90s. Like, he's just got that voice. The To me, that's nails on the chalkboard. Um, but he was talking to um, uh, talking about how uh, the other night, he lives in Rhode Island, apparently. He and his wife are coming home. And there are these strange people in their driveway. And I had to go and approach them, and I asked them what was going on. And the girl in the driveway was asking me, is this where Taylor Swift lives? Taylor Swift, beautiful, gorgeous, talented, no question. By the way, anytime you say Taylor Swift's name, you have to make mention of the fact that she's beautiful, talented, without question, without failing. Um, but apparently, Taylor Swift lives 10 houses away from Colin Coward, and he's saying this on his show, so now any, all anybody has to do is figure out where Colin Coward lives, and uh, there's a, there's the center of your radius, uh, go nuts, uh, fanatics. But apparently he lives in the same neighborhood with Taylor Swift, and yeah, I'm pretty sure she has her own zip code for her house. But here's the question I have to you. What's more sad, the fact that there are people that obsessed with Taylor Swift that they have to go and find her house even if she's you know half a globe away touring on the other side or the fact that Colin Cowherd can afford to live that close to her in the same neighborhood I don't get it I 
this is a side rant here uh, because as a guy who likes sports, sports talk radio is some of the worst talk radio there is. The, the hosts are way, way more condescending than anything you would hear on news talk. Um, and they can't be bothered to, you know, talk to the audience. <clears throat> and um, Colin Coward has made it his point in life to know more than other people, right? Even though he talks out of his butthole. And sports radio, by and large, has a very, 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 very small audience. It is one of the lowest rated formats in the country, sports talk radio. I mean, you might have some outliers like New York or Boston where they're bigger markets and people are just obsessed, but you couldn't do, a, you know, you couldn't have a top rated sports talk show, say, like in Des Moines, Iowa or Albuquerque, New Mexico. It just it just doesn't happen. So the fact that this dude, you know, he's he's syndicated across all these uh, these sports sports talk radio stations across the country, and the, most of them get low ratings. For him to be that close to Taylor Swift, how how? Uh, quick, by the way, um, I also saw this early, and again, I don't want to make this celebrity gossip because we got a lot of bad business to talk about, and we will talk about that here in about a minute or so, but uh, I, I guess Tom Brady let it slip earlier this week that uh, Giselle, for years, was cheating on him with the uh, the jiu-jitsu instructor, um, and, and look, she, she has to stay in top shape, but why Why would someone like Giselle need jiu-jitsu when she can afford a security detail is my question. Mm. But, you know, he's talking about how she allegedly cheated on him. And what was what was it that everybody was saying when um, they were together in uh, Boston? And it was like, you know, this is a, a happy family. Giselle, the concerned wife and mother, watching her man go out on the field. There's our kids. Not quite the uh, the same. Um, it never really felt as big as what uh, a recent relationship felt like this past year. But it was always there. Just wasn't as big. But I don't know what the uh, what precipitated uh, the alleged cheating. Uh, if she just wasn't faithful, or if he was just not committed to the relationship and she felt neglected. I don't know. There's probably a lot of details we're not privy to. My point is, both Giselle and Tom Brady very successful at what they did. Both uh, got paid a lot of money, get still get a lot of money doing what they did. All right, travel around the world, uh, time to spend with each other, far far few in between uh, those moments. Right, so this power couple that was very successful in the public eye probably didn't spend a lot of time together is what I'm saying because their commitments wouldn't allow them to stay together but people would uh, project their own happiness or wishful thinking upon this this couple that they did not meet <clears throat> yeah uh, I'm, I, I'm sure we learned our lesson with that okay let's get into bad business uh, before we get into the burgers, last podcast I made mention about uh, Vice Magazine. Uh, the uh, publication was around for like three decades, uh, had offices, I think, in New York and London. Uh, at one point, somehow valued at $6 billion, shuttered. No more content coming out of uh, the guys and gals. 
from Vice. So that's one less uh, social media account for me to troll. But what was this? Uh, this was uh, this was an op-ed in an online publication known as Spike, and uh, this is a former collaborator. And I got this linked up on the the Mike Davidson Facebook page. But basically, Vice Vice was just a bunch of pretenders. They they yeah they were a bunch of pretenders uh, that weren't what they said they were. Uh, one. One such paragraph in uh, the the uh, op-ed I have linked up. In recent years, Vice has become an object of much ridicule. This was a magazine that cut deals worth millions of dollars with the Saudi Arabian government while simultaneously publishing woke guides on how to shop for jeans as a non-binary person and how to deal with the ally in your friend group who's actually a huge jerk. And basically, this person's going on about how this play, uh, publication was supposed to be a gonzo journalism um, beacon. And it becomes basically a mouthpiece for a bunch of things that people weren't concerned about while taking money from people that would behead non-binary people looking for genes. Uh, for the layperson that does not know what gonzo journalism is, okay, what journalism is alleged to be is investigating, Right. To, uh, to be detectives, to, to ask the five W's and how, and, and let people know what's really going on, but it's kind of devolved into its own caricature. Gonzo journalism is supposed to be like that, only uh, you sleep with a lot more prostitutes, you get high on a lot more drugs, and drink a lot more alcohol, and uh, you get fanboyed by the likes of Bill Murray and Johnny Depp. So Vice was supposed to be gonzo journalism, and it kind of fell into this, uh, just into a parody of what it was supposed to be. Not that it was supposed to be serious to begin with. Uh, but uh, the article, the, the op-ed talks about how the, uh, the, the uh, go-around for this publication was to pay as little as possible, but you got cred. You got to build up your own legend. So a lot of times, trust fund babies, people that could afford to travel around the world and write these things, would work for them just so they could say that they did it. They were part of Vice. And, you know, for people's publication, you know, they also pointed, uh, this person that wrote this points this out, uh, Vice had a pub in London, and they had their own record label, so they had, like, their own shitty band on their record label playing in the pub, and you got to go party with Vice, when in reality, Vice would be upstairs away. All the Vice staffers would not be partying with the rabble, the common people. They would be upstairs partying with themselves. And if you're familiar with the song by Pulp, uh, Common People, nobody likes nothing tourist. And that's basically what Vice was. A bunch of pretenders pretending to be adventurous. And uh, then they started talking about non-binary people trying to look for jeans. So Wendy's is stupid. Uh, at least the people that run Wendy's is stupid. Uh, they um, <laughs> this was a very interesting news cycle with these guys. Uh, they basically what was it Tuesday? They talked about dynamic pricing. They, they one of their uh, uh, conference calls to uh, to sponsor uh, not sponsors but uh, investors. Yeah, they're talking about dynamic pricing and AI um, in a conversation. Basically. Uh, the HR representative, 
or not the HR representative. I'm sorry, that's something else. Uh, the CEO, Kirk Tanner, said that uh, the chain was going to start with dynamic pricing as early as 2025. They'd be enha uh, testing enhancing features like dynamic pricing and day part offerings along with AI-enabled menu changes and suggestive selling. As we continue to show the benefit of this technology, A-I-E-A-I-E-I-E-I-O. Um, and so the media is talking about how like uh, dynamic pricing, search pricing, much like Uber and uh, and uh, what, what else is it? Uh, yeah, DoorDash. Yeah, thank you. So everybody started jumping on them. Started jumping on uh Wendy saying, hey, are, does that mean when uh, time is, uh, like, the demand is high, the prices go higher? Because that's uh, that's not really conducive to uh, people that are on their way home trying to feed their families. You know, this isn't like the single guy that doesn't know how to boil a cup of water to make macaroni. Hey, Uber and DoorDash can charge them whatever the hell they want because they got to cover gas. This is somebody driving to your restaurant at like 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock in the evening trying to pick up grub for the kids and the wife and whatever. And uh, are you doing this? And they go, no, 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 that's not what we meant. That's not what we meant. That's not what we meant. And, and so the, the walk back was immediate. But everybody was jumping on them. Everybody. It was clear to me when they were talking about this because you get so hung up on the technology. And you get so caught up on what other businesses are doing and trending to do. You know, like with surge pricing with Uber and uh, all these other places where like, oh, if the demand's higher, we're going to raise the prices, you know, to cover cost and whatnot. Mm. That uh, you can't, you just can't do that with them. I mean, I don't think any of these executives at Wendy's actually go down to Wendy's and eat at Wendy's and see what Wendy's is all about. I really don't. Uh, if you're just talking about this, I mean, if, if you were to say, okay, we could use this, uh, you know, like at 2 in the afternoon to do discount burgers, but you're talking about dynamic pricing, and dynamic pricing already has that connotation that uh, prices are going to be higher, right? Um, my dad always told me, likes to tell me the story about Ross Perot when he was at the board of GM, and before he stepped down, you know, you are talking about, this is back in the 80s, I believe. He talked to uh, the executives, hey, if you want to know why you're having trouble selling cars, go down to a dealership. Don't tell anybody who we are. Don't dress up. Don't just show up, buy a vehicle, drive it around for a little bit, take it to get service. Again, don't tell anybody who you are. Just go through the process of uh, buying a car, getting it serviced. And you'll kind of get an idea of what uh, your everyday customer goes through. That's what these guys at these fast food chains have to do. They have to, like, uh, basically abandon the suit and tie and the, the power suits and whatnot, dress up, you know, find a beat-up truck, drive it downtown or drive it out to the burbs, wherever there's a Wendy's, sit there, look at who comes into the restaurant, and try the food, buy the food. Now, again, this is being a tourist a little bit, but you're also being a spy, and you kind of get an idea of what people go through. Uh, Sam Walton. Guy started Walmart before it became the uh, uh, corporate behemoth would do that. He would show up to his stores dressed up in overalls and a beat-up truck and ask people uh, how their experience was. 
but that's what you kind of have to do. But they look at all, but they don't do that. They look at what the consultants tell them. They look at the technology and they go, oh yeah, that's uh, that's the way we need to be moving forward. By the way, Burger King is pouncing on Wendy's saying, hey, in honor of uh, their dynamic pricing, we're going to offer up free Whopper and Impossible Whopper options if you download our app. So they almost get it right. They don't want to give away the store. Uh, but the reason why they say if you download our app is because they know a lot of people won't download their app. You've got how many freaking apps on your smartphone? You know, it's, it, is it really worth downloading another piece of software on your phone to get a free burger? It's, it's one thing to have DoorDash or Uber Eats or whatever on your phone because they can service a bunch of restaurants. But if you had Burger King and Wendy's and McDonald's... You would have to be a total fat ass. I mean, I'm sorry. You you would have to just do nothing but gorge yourself and eat. I know that wasn't really nice, but damn it. I mean, not every place should have an app. Not every place should have an app. You don't have enough spaces on your phone to have an, everybody's app. You you gotta consolidate. You gotta you gotta stick with what provides you more. All right. So yeah, Wendy's. Learning the hard way after, you know, they, they pretty much pull the Mulvaney here. You know, Bud Light giving the can to Dylan Mulvaney, not knowing how their customer base was going to react. Uh, suggesting, hey, dynamic pricing, not understanding how the customer base is going to react. Yeah, that's pulling a Mulvaney. Oh, uh, guess who else pulled the Mulvaney? The, uh, the CEO of Kellogg. Um, you know, you talk about how, uh, what was it, 12% of a family's income annually at this point is going toward food uh that doesn't include mortgage that does not include utilities that 12 percent of your income is going toward food but there's no inflation or some shit um the ceo of kellogg says the way you combat that is to eat more cereal and to eat cereal for dinner you can only imagine uh how that went over with a lot of people. Uh, yeah, I don't even eat cereal for breakfast. It's rare that I do. Uh, basically, I've got my go-go juice and maybe a piece of toast and I'm out the door. Uh, cereal for dinner is... That's what you do when you're a bachelor and you you have no other options. You, you don't sit down to a nice dinner of cornflakes, you dumbass. Um... Yeah, and, and what does he? And what do you think happens if everybody starts buying cereal and more of it for other meals? Do you think the price is going to stay down low? Yeah, this guy rightfully getting pillared, pilloried uh, for what he said. Just, just a total, total. Again, not knowing what his customer base goes through. Ugh. See, I'm. I told you, I'm a lot better than Jim Cramer. He, I don't think he hangs out with common people. All right, so I can't say I've been to Scotland, but I can I, I can see a terrible AI promotion. There's a lot. It's a brand new world with AI. I mean, I, I, I joke half-assed because I, it's probably going to happen. Skynet, half the time. But people using AI to scam other people in full force, and that's what happened recently in Glasgow. Um, the, there was supposed to be this immersive Willy Wonka experience. Like, uh, you were supposed to go into this warehouse, and it was going to be just like Willy Wonka. Like, 
the sets were going to be so, so real-like, and there's going to be candy coming out the walls, and you get to meet Willy Wonka in his Oompa Loompas, and it was only going to cost you 44 bucks a head to get it. God. Okay, I'm just talking about inflation. I'm going to stop right there. You, There is no way in hell you should be spending 44 bucks a head for this Willy Wonka experience, even if it was good as advertised. Okay, but it was not good as advertised, so this makes the ripoff even more gut-wrenching. People walked in there, and it was basically just like a bouncy house, cups of juice, no chocolate. There was no chocolate. This is Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, and there was no chocolate. Uh, you had a woman playing a, an Oopa Loopa. Basically, she just had her hair pulled back, face painted orange, and she looked like she was at, uh, at a chemistry set and was making meth. And kids were crying. Kids were crying. And and so this thing is basically the fire fest of immersive experiences. But when you look at the posters and you look at the uh, renderings, you know, with AI, oh, man, this is going to look so cool. I get to walk through this. No, you don't. It's fake. And you get there and you got ripped off. And um, I guess one of the publications talked to the comedian, uh, the comedian actor, uh, you know, trying to get his big breaking Glasgow there. Uh, he played Willy Wonka and he talked about how he's crying in the car. But there's a picture of him going around on the internet taking a selfie dressed up as Willy Wonka. And, you know, when I think Willy Wonka, no, I don't think of Johnny Depp. I think of the late great Gene Wilder, you know, dressed up in the, the top hat, you know, purple and gold, uh, the devilish smile, the, oh, so, you know, just somebody who could be charming yet dangerous. This dude looks like he's dressed up as uh, the greatest showman with Hugh Jackman. Like, he looks nothing like it. And I guess he got the script just days before, and it was AI-generated, and it made no sense. It was gibberish. So they they basically threw this all together, and I, I don't know how they thought they could get away with it, to be honest. This, you know, the, uh, the Trunk or Treats that your church has or or the PTA fundraisers your school has with bouncy castles look a lot more realistic than this. They would be better uh, candy factories than what was uh, put on here. In fact, you know, your trunk or treat has chocolate. This, play, this thing actually didn't. Okay, so moving on from that. Uh, this is a little disturbing here. In all seriousness, this was on MSNBC Monday. And no, I don't watch MSNBC. I don't watch any of the cable newsers, to be honest. Uh, but there's a law professor, I think, from uh, the University of Michigan, legal uh, analyst, Barbara McQuaid. Uh, she's arguing that the United States' deep commitment to free speech makes Americans uniquely susceptible to disinformation campaigns. Uh, McQuaid, uh, she went on on the Rachel Maddow show to promote her new book, Attack from Within, How Disinformation is Sabotaging America. She said her goal with the book is to spark a national conversation about truth and our commitment to it. Okay, there is nothing in the Constitution that says the right to truth. It's free speech. 
And the beauty part about free speech is if you're a complete idiot and you say something stupid, uh, they won't take you off to the barracks. Or, you know, they won't, the stockade is what I meant to say. They won't, they haven't taken me yet. Um, you know, we have libel and slander laws on the books. Disinformation, anybody can put their mouth, foot in their mouth. I mean, yeah, there are people that like this Willy Wonka idiot in Glasgow, and I know that's not the United States, but, you know, <coughs> he lied to people. He's probably going to be in a shit ton of trouble there in Scotland. That will happen. Um, but to say that uh, disinformation is something that you only find on the internet and not in media, uh, that to me is a little concerning. Like these people, news reporters can lie their asses off and not get in trouble or tell or unwittingly tell a falsehood and not get in trouble. But this legal expert is talking about this. So, you know, your your uncle or your aunt that's sending out the chain meals about uh, the uh, the vaccines and everything, uh, she's advocating how, basically, uh, they are a threat to democracy. Um, but cable news, uh, <laughs> these guys who went along for the ride and uh, didn't question anything Fauci was throwing at us, uh, yeah, they're, they're good. They're good. No, free speech is free speech. It's up to the public to determine uh, what they believe in and what they don't believe in. And by public, I mean you. And I don't think there should be state-sanctioned truth. Because fighting possible fascism with actual fascism just is fascism. No way around it. Sorry, there's just, there's just no Eden. There's just no paradise. Uh, you know, the United States is sloppy. It's messy. And to tell people to shut up if uh, they're saying something that you don't like, that's kind of scary. Very scary. A uh, couple quick things to wrap up with here. Actually, let's just... I, I think I'll hold off on this one, this story about cannabis for the next podcast because I, it's going to make a lot of people angry. Uh, and I love, I love the reactions. A New York Times reporter found out... The hard way, what happens when you say the C word in front of a bunch of other liberals. I uh, forget where this is from. Um, I had it bookmarked, but uh, this guy goes on to say, on uh, one of his first days at the New York Times, I was at an orientation with more than a dozen new hires, icebreaker. Pick a starburst out of the jar and then answer a question. My starburst was pink. I believe so. I had to answer the pink prompt, which had me respond to my favorite sandwich. Okay. Rust and Daughter Super Heapster came to mind, but I figured mentioning a $19 sandwich wasn't a great way to win new friends, so I blurted out the spicy chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A, Seaworth, and considered the ice broken. HR representative leading the orientation chided me, we don't do that here. They hate gay people. Yeah, the, the HR person who's supposed to keep everybody even keel says, no, 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 that's a hate crime. Uh, they hate people. People started snapping their fingers in acclamation because, you know, clapping is wrong. I haven't been thinking about the fact, I hadn't been thinking about the fact that Chick-fil-A was a transgressive uh, in liberal circles for its chairman's opposition to gay marriage. Not the politics, the chicken, I said quickly, but it was too late. I sat down and shamed. That seems like a very, a very uh, happy place to work at New York Times. Maybe this reporter, well, no, he can't. Uh, vice is closed. They're all said and done. 
Uh, I'm done. Until next time, stay fresh. You've been listening to Mike Davidson Live. Be sure to check him out on social media. Like him at Facebook.com backslash M. Davidson Live. Follow him on Twitter. Look for at Davidson Live. 